0: Part 5 of A Guide to the Lakes, by Thomas West. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ambleside Here nothing at present is found of all that Camden mentions of this place, so swift is time in destroying the last remains of ancient magnificence. Roman coins and arms have been frequently found here, and in forming the turnpike road through Rydal, an urn was lately taken up, which contained ashes and other Roman remains, and serves to prove the tract of the ancient road, to have laid that way. In mountainous countries, cascades, waterfalls and cataracts are frequent, but are only seen in high beauty, when in full torrent, and that is in wet weather, or soon after it. Above Ambleside about a mile, there is a cascade that, though the season should be dry, merits a visit on account of its singular beauty and distinguished features, from others you will see in the course of the tour. The stream here, though the water below, is much divided, and broken by a variety of pointed dark rocks. Then collecting itself in one torrent, it is precipitated with a horrid rushing noise, into a dark gulf, unfathomable to the eye, and after rising in the foam, is dashed with a thundering noise, headlong down a steep, craggy channel, till it joined the rothay below Ambleside. The parts of this cataract are noble, the deep, dark hue of the rocks in the gloomy bosom of a narrow glen, just visible by day, and shown by contrast of the fretted, foaming water, heightened by a mixture of green from the trees that wave over the fall, and the shrubs and bushes that hang on the rocks that divide the stream, and render this scene highly picturesque. Hutchinson is the first that mentions this surprising object, and his station is well chose, at the old oak that leans over the precipice, but there is a lower station that will better suit such as do not choose to overlook a trembling precipice. From Ambleside to Keswick, 18 miles of excellent mountain road, furnishes much amusement to the traveller. If the season be rainy or immediately after rain, All the possible variety of Cascade, Cataract, and Waterfalls are seen in this ride. Some precipitating themselves from immense heights, others leaping and bounding from rock to rock in foaming torrents, hurling huge fragments to the Vale, that make the mountains tremble to their fall. The hollow noise swells and dies upon the ear by turns. The scenes are astonishing, the succession of them matchless. At Rydal Hall are two cascades worthy of notice. One is a little above the house, to which Sir Michael Le Fleming has made a convenient path, that brings you upon it all at once, a mighty torrent tumbling headlong from an immense height of rock, uninterrupted into the rocky basin below, shaking the mountain under you with its fall, and the air above with the rebound. It is a surprising scene, this gentleman's example in opening a road to the fall, recommends itself strongly in this country, that abounds with so many noble objects, that travellers of the least taste would visit with pleasure, could they do it with safety. The other cascade is a small fall of water, seen through the window of the summer-house in Sir Michael's Orchard. The first who brought this sweet scene to light, is the elegant and learned editor of Mr. Grey's Letters and as no one describes with such propriety as Mr. Mason, the reader shall have his account of this masterpiece of Nature. Here Nature has performed everything in little, that she usually executes in her larger scale, and on that account, like the miniature painter, seems to have finished every part of it in a studied manner. Not a little fragment of a rock thrown into the basin, not a single stem of brushwood that starts from its craggy sides, but has a picturesque meaning, and the little central current dashing down a cleft of the darkest coloured stone, produces an effect of light and shadow, beautiful beyond description. This little theatrical scene might be painted as large as the original, on a canvas not bigger than those usually dropped in the Opera House. Rydal Hall has a grand situation, at the feet of stupendous mountains, opening to the south at the entrance of the Vale, over a noble foreground, and commands a charming view of the Windermere. The River Rothy winds through the Vale, amidst lofty rocks and hanging woods, to join the lake. The road serpentises upwards round a bulging rock, fringed with trees, and brings you soon in sight of Rydal Water, a lake about one mile in length, spotted with little isles, which communicates, by a narrow channel, with Grasmere Lake. The River Rothe is their common outlet. Mount Grasmere Hill and from the top have a view of as sweet a scene as travelled eye ever beheld. Mr. Grey's description of this peaceful happy vale will raise a wish in every reader to see so primeval a place. The bosom of the mountains spreading here into a broad basin discover in the midst of Grasmere water Its margin is hollowed into small bays, with eminences, some of rock, some of soft turf, that half conceal, and vary the figure of the little lake they command. From the shore, a low promontory pushes itself far into the water, and on it stands a white village, with a parish church rising in the middle of it. Hanging enclosures, cornfields and meadows, green as an emerald, with their trees and hedges and cattle, fill up the whole space from the edge of the water, and just opposite to you, is a large farmhouse, at the bottom of a steep, smooth lawn, embosomed in old woods, which climb half-way up the mountain-sides, and discover above a broken line of crags, that crown the scene. Not a single red tile nor flaring gentleman's house, or garden wall, break in upon the repose of this little unsuspected paradise. But all is peace, rusticity and happy poverty in its neatest, most becoming attire. Mr Grey's description is taken from the road descending from Dunmail Ray's, but the more advantageous station to view this romantic vale from is on the western side. Proceed from Ambleside by Clappersgate along the banks of the river Brathe, and at Skellith Bridge, ascend a steep hill that leads to Grasmere. And a little behind its summit, you come in sight of the valley and lake lying in the sweetest order. The island is near the centre, unless the water be very low. The church stands at a small distance from the lake on the side of the Rothay, its principal feeder. On each hand spreads the cultivated tract up the steep sides of surrounding mountains, guarded by Steel Fell and Seat Sandby, that advancing towards each other close the view at Dunmail Ray's. The broken head of home crag has a fine effect seen from this point. Descend the hill, leave the church on the right hand, and presently arrive at the great road to Ambleside or Keswick. Here you have Mr. Gray's view, and will see the difference. Mr. Gray has omitted the island in his description, which is a principle in this sweet scene. This Vale of Peace is about four miles in circumference, and guarded at the upper end by Home Crag, a broken pyramidal mountain, that exhibits an immense mass of antediluvian ruins. After this, the road ascends Dunmail Rays, where lies the historical stones that perpetuate the name and fall of the last King of Cumberland, defeated there by the Saxon monarch Edmund, who put out the eyes of his two sons, and for confederating with Leolin, King of Wales, against him, he first wasted his kingdom and then gave it to Malcolm, King of Scots, who held it in fee of Edmund, AD nine hundred and forty four or nine hundred and forty five. The stones are a heap that have the appearance of a carned or barrow. The wall that divides the county crosses them at right angles, which proves their priority of time there. From Dunmail Ray's the road is an easy descent of nine miles to Keswick except Castle Rig, that is somewhat quick. Leaving the Vale of Grasmere behind, you soon come in sight of Leith's water, called also Withburn and Thurlmere. It begins at the foot of Helvellyn, and skirts its base for the space of four miles, increased by a variety of pastoral torrents that pour down the mountainsides their silver streams, which warbling join the lake. The range of mountains on the right are tremendously great. Helvellyn and Catch Camp are the chief, and according to the Withburn shepherds, much higher than Skiddaw. This is certain that these mountains retain snow many weeks after Skiddaw has lost his winter covering, but that may be owing to the steepness of Skiddaw's northern side and the shivery surface that attracts more forcibly the solar rays than the verdant front of Helvellyn and so precipitates in avalanches, the winter's load at once. A thousand huge rocks hang on Helvellyn's brow, all once in motion and ready to start anew. Many have already reached the lake and are at rest. The road sweeps through them along the naked margin of the lake. The opposite shore is beautified with variety of crown-topped rocks, some wooded, others not, rising immediately from the water, some rent and hanging forward to the water, all set off with a background of verdant mountains, rising in the noblest pastoral style, the whole reflected from the soft bosom of the lake. Its singular beauty, is being almost intersected in the middle by two peninsulas, that are joined by a bridge, in a taste suitable to the genius of the place, which serves for an easy communication among the shepherds that dwell on the opposite banks. At the 6th mile-post from the top of an eminence on the left, there is a good general view of the lake and vale, but the most picturesque point is from an eminence behind Dalehead House. The lake terminates sweetly with a pyramidal rock wooded to the top, and opposite to it, a silver-grey rock hanging over its base towards the lake has a fine effect. The road after this leads through the narrow green vale of Agberthwaite, divided into small enclosures, peopled with a few cots, and nobly terminated by the romantic castle-like rock of St. John. Below, the vale contracts into a deep craggy dell, through which Leiths water rolls itself till it joins the Greta at Newbridge, under the foot of Threlkeld fell, a gloomy mountain of dark dun rocks that shuts up the view of the sweet spreading vale of St. John. The road winds to the left along Thwaite Bridge, and ascends Naddle Fell by Causey Way foot to Castle Rig. At the turn of the hill, and within two miles of Keswick, you come at once in sight of the glorious vale, with all its noble environs, and wonderfully enchanting scenes, which, when Mr. Gray beheld, had almost determined him to return to Keswick, and repeat his tour. "'I left Keswick,' says he, and took the amble road in a gloomy morning, and about two miles from the town, mounted an eminence called Castlerig, and the sun breaking out, discovered the most enchanting view I have yet seen of the whole valley behind me, the two lakes, the river, the mountains, all in their glory, so that I had almost a mind to have gone back again. This is certainly a most ravishing morning view of the bird's-eye kind, a circuit of twenty miles, two lakes, Derwent and Battenthwaite, the river serpentising between, the town of Keswick, and church of Crossthwaite in the centre points, an extensive fertile plain, all the surrounding mountains that enclose this delicious spot, seen in all their greatness, astonish, surprise and delight. The Druid temple, mentioned by Hutchinson, and delineated in Pennant's Tor, lies about half a mile to the right, but will be more conveniently seen from the Penrith Road. Descend to Keswick. End of Part 5